in the book of Ecclesiastes. In Ecclesiastes, chapter 1, beginning with verse 1. The book opens with these words, the words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What advantage does man have in all his work which he does under the sun? As you ponder on those verses for a moment or two, I want to begin this morning this morning by asking a question that I like to ask a couple of times during the year, and that is how you've been keeping up with your, with your Bible reading. You've been keeping up with your daily Bible reading. You've been making time to read that one chapter a day, five days a week from the wisdom literature. If you've been doing that, and I, and I certainly hope that you have, then you are aware of the fact that beginning tomorrow, we're going to start reading one of the most neglected books in all the Bible, and that is this book right here. That is the book of Ecclesiastes. The book of Ecclesiastes. The book of Ecclesiastes is another book that was written by the preacher, the son of David, the king of Israel, the wise man Solomon. In fact, in this book, based on these verses we just read, it appears that Solomon, the son of David, is... It's on a journey. It appears that he's on a mission. It appears that he is on a quest in search of something very important in his life. And let me just ask you, have you ever done that before? Have you ever gone on a journey before? You ever gone on a quest? You ever gone on a quest to obtain something that you felt was missing in your life? For example, have you ever gone on a quest to find a spouse? or to get a college degree, or maybe to become really good at, at playing a sport or a particular instrument. You ever gone on a quest to find the perfect house, or the perfect job, or career, or maybe at least a career that you felt you'd be really good at and would enjoy devoting your entire life to? Have you ever gone on a quest in search for those kinds of things. Well, if you have, then, then let me tell you something. You can't relate, at least in some way, to what Solomon is, is doing in this book. Again, in this book, Solomon, Solomon is on a quest. He's on a journey, and his journey involves trying to find the main thing that every person wants in this life, and that is happiness. That is meaning, that is, that is purpose and, and true fulfillment. You see, in this book, Solomon wants to know what makes a person important. What makes a person's life meaningful? How can a person obtain true happiness and peace and satisfaction in the few years that they have been given on this earth? Maybe, just maybe, they can find that in wealth. 
Maybe they can find it in stuff. Maybe they can find it in money and material possessions. Go to Ecclesiastes chapter 2. Our study this morning will be limited mainly to the first two chapters of Ecclesiastes. We may go to another chapter or two, but for the most part, we're going to be in the first two chapters of this book. And in Ecclesiastes chapter 2 and in verse number 4, as Solomon begins his quest, he discovers this. He says he did this on his quest. He says in verse number four, I enlarge my works. I build houses for myself. I planted vineyards for myself. I made gardens and parks for myself. And I planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made ponds of water for myself from which to irrigate a forest of growing trees. I bought male and female slaves, and I had home-born slaves. Also, I possessed flocks and, and herds larger than all who preceded me in Jerusalem. Also, I collected for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces. I provided for myself male and female singers and the pleasures of men, many concubines. Then I had a great... Then I became great and increased more than all who preceded me in Jerusalem. My wisdom also stood by me. All that my eyes desired, I did not refuse them. I did not withhold from my heart from any pleasure, for my heart was pleased because of all my labor, and this was my reward for all my labor. Thus I considered all my activities which my hands had done and the labor which I had exerted. And behold, all was vanity and striving after the wind, and there was no profit under the sun. Notice how in these verses we learn something that, that, that many of us already know about Solomon. In these verses we learn that Solomon had a lot of stuff. Solomon had a lot of wealth. Solomon had a lot of money and material possessions. Notice how in these verses Solomon says that when it came to his life on this earth, he had palaces. He had extravagant places to live each and every day. And he says he had vineyards. And he had gardens and ponds and male and female singers. And he says he also had a lot of silver. And he had gold and entertainers and, and flocks and herds. And he even had a lot of women, he says. He even had a, a lot of concubines. Solomon says he had it all. He had everything that a man could want in this life. And yet, despite that, notice what he discovered in verse 18 of chapter 2. This goes with what you found in verse number 11. In verse 18, he says that after he experienced the pleasures of this world, he says, thus, I hate it. I hate it, he says. All of the fruit of my labor for which I had labored under the sun, for I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And who knows whether he be a wise man or a fool, yet he will have control over all the fruit of my labor for which I have labored by acting wisely under the sun. This too is vanity. Therefore, I completely despaired of all the fruit of my labor for which I had labored under the sun when there is a man who has labored with wisdom knowledge and skill, then he gives his legacy to one who has not labored with them. This too is vanity and a great evil. For what does a man get in all his labor and in his striving with which he labors under the sun? Because all his days, his, his task is painful and, and grievous. Even at night, his mind doesn't rest. This too is vanity. 
Notice how even though Solomon says he had a lot of wealth, he had a lot of money, he had a lot of stuff, he, he still wasn't happy. He still wasn't happy. He still wasn't satisfied. He still knew that even with all that, ultimately, it was vanity. Ultimately, all that was worthless and meaningless. And the reason why it was worthless and meaningless was because he knew that one day he was going to die and leave it all. He says that he knew that one day he was going to die and he was going to leave his stuff behind. In fact, he says in those verses that when he died and left his stuff for all he knew, he was going to leave his stuff to a bunch of fools. He says that for all he knew, a bunch of fools were going to wind up with his stuff and they were going to waste it all. They were going to squander everything he had worked hard for. That's what he realized. You see, Solomon tried to find purpose and meaning and happiness in life and stuff. But ultimately, he says he didn't find it. Ultimately, he says that in the big scheme of life, having all that stuff, that money and wealth, was vanity. It was worthless. It was vain. And let me tell you something, that same thing that Solomon discovered 3,500 years ago is still true today. It's still true even in our time today, even in our time today, even in 2021. We need to understand that money and stuff has limitations. It has restrictions. None of it can bring us ultimate happiness and, and satisfaction in our lives. In fact, what often happens when we get a lot of money and a lot of stuff is we want more, right? Oh, yes, we want more. We want more money. We want more stuff. After four or five years, we want that new car smell again, don't we? We, we want the latest iPhone. The iPhone 25 is not going to cut it anymore. We want a bigger house and a better community. We want a, a, a bigger, big screen TV. The one we got six months is it's lost its luster. We want more jewelry. We want more clothes. We want to take more expensive vacations every single year. We want more. Usually what happens when people get money and stuff is they get greedy. They want more and they want more and they want more. And don't misunderstand. Don't misunderstand. I'm not saying this morning and neither does the Bible say that it's wrong to have stuff. The Bible doesn't say it's wrong to have a nice house and a nice car and nice clothes and have money in your bank account. In fact, in verse number 24 of this same chapter, Solomon says that all that stuff we have, it ultimately is a blessing from God. It ultimately comes from God. It ultimately comes from the father of lights and God wants us to enjoy it. God wants us to enjoy the fruits of our labor. But we need to understand that if we're trying to find ultimate happiness and, and peace in the fruits of our labor. If we're trying to find ultimate worth and value and purpose in the fruits of our labor, then according to Solomon, ultimately, we're going to fail. Ultimately, we're not going to find what we're seeking. Ultimately, Solomon says that all the wealth in this world is vain. 
because one day we're going to have to die and, and we're going to have to leave it. You're not going to have any U-Hauls going with you and into eternity. It's all vain. Ultimately, Solomon realized that on his quest. He didn't find what he was looking for with money and stuff. But maybe he found it with this. Maybe he found it with wisdom. Maybe that's where it was. I mean, this is something else we all know about Solomon, right? The majority of folks here in the room this morning, maybe everybody here knows that when it comes to Solomon, one of the things he's most known for is he is known for being a very wise man. He had a lot of wisdom that came from God. In fact, I think it's safe to say that with the exception being the Lord Jesus Christ, Solomon is probably the wisest man to ever walk on this earth. In the ancient times, 3,500 years ago, people from all over the world would come to Jerusalem to sit at the feet of Solomon and listen to the great wisdom that he had from the Lord. And yet, even though he had a ton of wisdom, more wisdom than anybody in the world in his time, notice what he says about that in Ecclesiastes 1 and verse 16. Look at verse number 16. In Ecclesiastes 1 and verse 16, Solomon says, Behold, I have magnified and increase wisdom more than all who were in Jerusalem before me, and my mind has observed a wealth of wisdom and knowledge. And I set my mind to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. I realize that this also is striving after the wind, because in much wisdom there is much grief, and increasing knowledge results in increasing pain. Now go to chapter 2. Look at chapter 2 and verse 12. After telling us about how he tried to find purpose and meaning in obtaining wealth, in verse number 12 of chapter 2, he says, So I turned to consider wisdom, madness, and folly. For what will the man do who will come after the king itself what has already been done? And I saw that wisdom excels folly as light excels darkness. The wise man's eyes are in his head, but the fool walks in darkness, and yet I know that one fate, one fate befalls them both. Then I said to myself, as is the fate of the fool, it will also befall me. Why then have I been extremely wise? So I said to myself, this too is vanity, for there is no lasting remembrance of the wise man as with the fool, inasmuch as in the coming days all will be forgotten, and how the wise man and the fool alike die. Notice how even though Solomon, even though he says he had a lot of wisdom, he says he still wasn't satisfied. He says he still wasn't truly happy. He says he still understood that like with money and riches and stuff, even with wisdom, there is vanity. Even with wisdom, there is futility. Even wisdom is affected by the great equalizer that is called death. You see, according to Solomon, one of the great tragedies for the wise man is one day he's going to die like the fool. Solomon says that both the wise man and the fool die. In fact, when they both die, Solomon also says that neither one of them will probably be remembered. Neither one of their names will, will last throughout the generations. This is a fact that I think we can easily prove this morning. Let me ask you to do something for me, if you don't mind. For those of you here this morning 
who have parents, both of your parents, mommy and daddy, have passed away. Both of your parents have passed away. Can you raise your hand if both of your parents have passed away? That's a lot of people. Thank you very much. I didn't realize it would be that many. So we have a lot of people in this room whose both of your parents have passed away. Now, for those of you, you don't have to raise your hand on this, but for those of you whose parents have passed away, do you remember their names? You probably do. What about your grandparents? Do you remember the names of your grandparents? You probably do. What about your great-grandparents? you remember their names? Well, you might have to think about that a little bit. But what about your great-great-grandparents? What about your great-great-great-grandparents? What about your great-great-great-great-grandparents? Can you spout their names off right now off the top of your head? Can you do that? I can't. In fact, the truth is, I can't remember the names of any of my grandparents after my great-grandparents. At some point, the names of all of my ancestors have been forgotten throughout the generations, just like Solomon said was going to happen. You see that? You see, unless you become famous like Abraham Lincoln or Martin Luther King or George Washington, you need to understand your name is one day going to be forgotten. One day, no one will remember that you even existed. It doesn't matter how wise you might be. It doesn't matter how much knowledge you might have. It doesn't matter how many degrees you may have on your wall. It doesn't matter how good your judgment may be right now in this life. One day, you will die and you will be forgotten. One day, no one will remember your name. Someone says, well, Sean, that's a grim thought to think of this morning. I know it is, but it's what the Bible says. It's what Solomon realized on his quest. Solomon did not find what he was looking for in wealth. And he didn't find it in wisdom, but there's one more place that he looked to find it. And, and that was this right here. That, that was fame. There was, that was popularity. That was trying to make a, a great name for himself. Maybe he could find what he was looking for in that. Go back to Ecclesiastes again. Did you notice that? In chapter 2 and verse number 9. In chapter 2 and verse 9, Solomon says that on his quest, then I became great and increased more than all who preceded me in Jerusalem. Solomon says he had a great name. Solomon says that he was well known in his time. He says that everybody knew who he was. He was popular. He was popular in his time. In fact, not only was he popular in his time, but he's also popular in our time, right? Oh, yes, Solomon's very popular in our time. I mean, think about it. Who are we talking about this morning? We're talking about Solomon. We're reading a book written by Solomon. We start teaching our kids about Solomon at a very young age. Solomon certainly did make a great name for himself, but like with everything else, like with the money, like with the stuff, like with wisdom, Solomon also realized that with this too, there's vanity. There's futility. It's like striving after the wind. Why? Well, because the great equalizer, it affects it too. 
Death affects it too. It doesn't matter if you become some big Hollywood star. It, it, it doesn't matter if you win American Idol or if you invent something that changes the world, or if you set a bunch of records playing a sport, or even if you become the president of the United States of America, it doesn't matter how famous you are and how celebrated you may be in this life, one day you're gonna have to die. One day you're gonna have to exit out of this life. Not even the great achievement of a great name can immune you from experiencing the same thing they even the homeless people on the streets have to experience. They're going to die. What I just want you to see is Solomon experienced life at the highest level. Do you see that? He is perfectly qualified to talk to us about this issue this morning. He had money, a lot of money. He had stuff. He had fame. He had wisdom. He had everything that a person could want in life, and he still wasn't happy. He still wasn't satisfied. He still had an emptiness in his heart. He wanted more. He knew something else had to be out there. And so here's our question right now. Here's the main question. The main question is, where does he find it? Where does he discover it? Where does he discover the source of meaning and purpose and happiness in life? Well, many of you probably know exactly where I'm going, don't you? Let's fast forward the story to the end of the story to Exodus, or not Exodus, we'll do that later, to Ecclesiastes chapter 12. Look at verse 13. Ecclesiastes 12, you know where I'm going, don't you? Ecclesiastes 12, look at verse 13. It says this. When Solomon reached the end of his quest, after experiencing the money, and the many wives, the stuff, the wisdom, the fame, all that, he says the conclusion. When all has been heard is fear God and keep his commandments because this applies to every person. Now, some of your translations say there, fear God and keep his commandments because this is what? This is the whole duty of man. I like that better. This is the whole duty of man. Why? Well, verse 14. For God will bring every act of judgment, everything which is hidden, whether it is good or bad. Notice how as Solomon reaches the end of his great quest, he finally found it. He finally found what he was seeking. He finally found happiness. He finally found purpose and meaning and true satisfaction in life. He finally found it all. And you know where he found it? He found it in God. He found it in the Lord. He found it in fearing the Lord and serving the Lord and glorifying the Lord and having a relationship with the Lord. After finally reaching the end of his great quest in life, Solomon found what he was seeking in God. The question is, have you found the same thing? Have you realized the same thing? Have you realized this morning that there is nothing more important in life than fearing and serving God? Do you understand that? Do you realize that? 
My friends, if you don't realize that this morning, then I want you to understand something. I want you to understand that Solomon wrote this book so that you can realize that. Solomon wrote this book so that you don't have to learn that lesson the hard way like he did. Solomon wrote this book so that you can live your life right now understanding that when you make serving and knowing and loving God the center of your life, then you can understand your real worth in life. Then you can understand your real value in life. You see, those who love and serve God and make God the center of their lives, they know their, their real value in life. They know who they really are in life. They know that they were created in the image of God. They know that God is the source of every blessing they have in their lives. They know that, that no matter what they go through in, the, in this life, no matter what trials or, or tribulations may come their way, everything's still going to be okay because God loves them and God cares for them and God demonstrates that love and care for them in the highest possible way by giving his son Jesus on the cross 2,000 years ago. You see, when a person truly understands just how much God loves them. When they understand that God values them so much, that he gave them his sinless son on a cross, then that person won't walk around in their lives determined to find approval from men. Then that person won't walk around in their lives thinking that their net worth determines their real worth. Then that person will walk around in their lives devastated and just completely destroyed when certain people don't like them or, or approve of them. Instead, that person is always is just always going to be content with God. They're going to always be content in knowing that God values them. God loves them. God cares about them. When God is the center of a person's life, then they understand their true worth then they understand their true value. But not only do they understand their true worth and value, when, a, when God is at the center of a person's life, they also have the source of real happiness. Do you want to be happy? Well, this book talks about the source of, of real happiness. Going back to Ecclesiastes chapter 2 and verse 25, after Solomon says that it is, there's nothing wrong with enjoying the fruits of our labor. Those are blessings from God. In Ecclesiastes 2, in verse number 25, he says, For who can eat and who can have enjoyment without him, without God? That's the rhetorical question. The answer there is obvious. You put that with what Paul talks about in Galatians 5, verses 22 and 23, the fruits of the Spirit. You know the fruits of the Spirit, right? The fruits of the Spirit are love. What's the next one? Joy. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. The Bible says that as Christians, Christians, if we, have the, if we have fruit from the Spirit, if we're following the Spirit, abiding by the teachings of the Spirit, we're supposed to be happy. We're supposed to have joy. In fact, we're supposed to be the happiest and most joyous people on the face of the planet. We're supposed to have joy no matter what circumstances we're faced with in our lives. Question is, the question is, do you have that? Do you have joy? 
You have happiness? Do you have that fruit of the Spirit? Many of you know that several years ago, several years ago, I, I was able to take a trip that really changed my life forever. And I think Mitch can, can, can relate to this also when he took a similar trip. When I went to Africa to preach the gospel. I spent about a month preaching in three countries in Africa. Two of those countries to this day contain some of the poorest people on the face of the planet. Zimbabwe and Botswana. When I spent several weeks in Zimbabwe and Botswana, you know what I saw? I saw people, Christians, God's people, who literally ate one meal a day. It was a meal called Millie Meal, a porridge. They ate it one time a day. They usually eat it in the morning. That's the only meal they would have. And all the people owned one shirt and one pair of pants, and both of those items were full of holes. And the children walked miles to school every single day with no shoes on. They didn't have cars, they didn't have a school bus, bicycle, they didn't have a skateboard. They had to literally walk miles just to go to school every day with no shoes. And the people lived in mud huts. And the mud huts had no beds, no electricity, no internet, plumbing, cell phones, TVs, appliances. They didn't even have clean water. They didn't have any of these great luxuries that we enjoy every single day in this country. And yet, even though they didn't have any of this stuff that we have in this country, both the adults and the children were some of the happiest people I've ever seen in my life. The adults and the children have faces full of smiles constantly. And they were just laughing. And they had attitudes of humility and contentment. Again, they were among, and I mean this sincerely, they were among some of the happiest people I've ever met in my life. I've never seen people at happy before, and I believe there's a reason for that. The reason why I think those people were so happy, even though they had nothing, is because they understood something that a lot of people in the States don't understand. They understood something that a, lot of, that a lot of Christians in the States do not understand, and that is true happiness and joy is not dependent upon physical circumstances. It's not dependent upon money and a nice house and a nice car. Instead, it's dependent upon God. It's dependent upon knowing God. It's dependent upon serving God. It's dependent upon Understanding that heaven is waiting for you when this little blimp called life is over. Those people understood that. They made God the center of their lives. And they got what Solomon was talking about. They understood their real worth. Their real value. And they understood the source of real happiness, which is God. But then the third thing I want to say, and we're going to close, when God is the center of a person's life, they also have real purpose. Real purpose. And isn't that what people want today? Don't people want purpose? Have you noticed that? People want to know, what's my purpose? Why am I here? Why am I here on planet Earth? You know that people, 
They ask that question all the time. In fact, for a lot of people, you know what they do? They spend their entire lives looking for their purpose in all the wrong places. Some people spend their entire lives trying to find purpose and meaning in sports. They make sports the center of their lives. Some people try to find purpose and meaning in sex. They have sex with this person and that person. They think that that brings true meaning and satisfaction to their lives. Other people try to find purpose and meaning in their careers, their jobs. They make their job their idol. Then other people try to find purpose and meaning in all the stuff we talked about so far. Money, stuff, wisdom, fame, popularity. For so many people in our world, they try to find purpose and meaning and all these different kinds of avenues. But notice, notice how Solomon, a man who literally had everything the world could offer, he understood some different. He understood some different about purpose. He understood that the purpose of life, no matter how much a person may have in this life, the purpose of life is knowing God. It is making sure you're right with God. It is fearing God. It's obeying God. It is doing your best to bring God glory. Solomon says that when you dedicate your whole life to the service of God, it's going to help prepare you for the inevitable. It's going to help prepare you for death. It's going to help prepare you to stand before one who knows everything. He's going to judge all things, even the hidden things, whether they are good or evil. What I just want you to see this morning is after experiencing life at the highest level, Solomon realized that life without God is worthless. It is sad. It is pointless. It is vain. He learned that 3,500 years ago. The question is, have you learned the same thing? Have you learned what Solomon learned at the end of his quest? If not, then hopefully you're going to learn that by the time you finish reading the book of Ecclesiastes. Hopefully by the time you reach the end of Ecclesiastes, you're going to understand what life should be all about. You're going to understand that life should be all about serving and obeying God. In fact, if you're not doing that in your life right now, you have an opportunity to start doing that right here and right now. Whether that means we need to immerse you in the waters of baptism or if that means you need to repent and allow us to pray with you and pray for you, I want you to know that right here and right now you have an opportunity given from God to dedicate your life to him completely and fulfill your duty and purpose in life. And if we can help you with that in any way at all, come to the front as we stand and sing.